Hello everyone, my name is Sarah Norton and welcome to the first episode of Invert Extroverts, the podcast where we talk about the amazing symbiotic relationships of marine invertebrates. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about everyone's favorite marine invert that they may or may not know is an invert. Coral. That's right, they're not plants, folks, they're animals. They belong to the phylum level taxa Cnidarians, along with jellyfish and Portuguese man-of-war and many others. They're part of the subphylum level taxa Anthozoa, also known as the flower animals, which includes anemones, soft and hard corals, and more. In my personal opinion, these guys are some of the most beautiful creatures in the ocean. They're so colorful and wavy and interesting to look at, and today we're going to be talking about their interesting relationship with dinoflagellates. Symbiodinium, to be exact, also colloquially known as zooxanthellae. These guys are a unicellular microalgae, and they live in the lining of the gastrovascular cavity of our friends, the corals. So what the heck are they doing there? Let's find out. Corals individually are a lot smaller than you might expect. That's because these inverts are colonial species. That means that individual corals, called polyps, live together in groups of hundreds to thousands of individuals. There are also two different kinds of coral that are split up into separate taxa under the anthozoan umbrella. Hard corals, also known as Sleractinians, have a thin layer of tissue called the Cenozark that connects polyps to one another. This tissue allows polyps to share nutrients with one another. Hard corals also have calcium carbonate skeletons and secrete calcium carbonate as well. This is what makes them reef builders since they create a hard location for corals to settle on, either through secreting calcium carbonate or by providing a space themselves for other corals to settle on them. These corals are found in pretty much any area of the sea that you could imagine, from the Great Barrier Reef off the coast of Australia to deep sea reefs, and these are what are typically considered true corals. Soft corals, on the other hand, are part of a different taxa called the Octocorelia. They still live in colonies, but they're a lot more flowy and soft than hard corals, hence the names. They don't have a calcium carbonate skeleton like hard corals do, so these are the corals that you're most likely to get mixed up with plants since they really look and move in the water like they could be one. These soft corals are more likely to be found in tropical or subtropical areas, although they can also live in the deep sea. And they may not build reefs like hard corals do, but they do still live there. Both soft and hard corals, as well as other nadarians, have a very special relationship with symbiodinium. Symbiodinium are photosynthetic dinoflagellates that live in the lining of the gastrodermal cavity of corals. By living with coral, symbiodinium is in the perfect spot. They get carbon dioxide and nutrients that they need to go through photosynthesis from the corals, and they live in a protected environment. Um, they're in more static conditions, and they're blocked from UV light. 
sounds like the perfect roommate. But it's not just Symbiodinium that benefits from this living arrangement. The coral also gets the products of photosynthesis produced by the Symbiodinium. These include amino acids, glucose, and glycerol, and the coral can then convert these into carbs, proteins, fats, and, you guessed it, calcium carbonate for their skeleton. Then the cycle starts back over again. Especially in tropical waters, which are not super rich in nutrients, this cycle is critical for the survival of both coral and symbiodinium. Over the millennia, they have evolved to live together in this cycle of nutrient recycling. The relationship between coral and symbiodinium is clearly pretty important for the survival of both of these species, but the benefits don't just stop there. Coral reefs are able to form because of the calcium carbonate secreted by coral, which is made up of nutrients and materials provided to the coral by symbiodinium. And these coral reefs are super important for the marine environment. They provide a habitat for tons of other species, making them hotspots for biodiversity. The Coral Triangle is a region in Southeast Asia covered in coral reefs, and it's the most biodiverse marine ecosystem in the entire world. According to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, coral reefs provide habitat for more species per unit area than any other marine environment in the world. This includes 4,000 species of fish, 800 species of hard corals, and hundreds and hundreds of other species, like sea turtles and lobsters. Scientists believe that coral reefs could be harboring millions of species that have yet to be discovered by humans. And these coral reefs are important for humans too. We've probably all heard about the booming tourism industry surrounding coral reefs. In fact, this industry is so large that it contributes over $36 billion to the global economy every year. This benefits everyone and every business along the tourism pipeline, from the direct providers of coral reef scuba experiences, to the hotels tourists stay at, and the restaurants they eat at after a long day of swimming or lying back on stunning white sand beaches. Coral reefs create tons of jobs across the world for the people that provide these services. This means that coral reefs have a huge indirect use value to us, meaning that we take benefits from using these reefs in a way that doesn't remove the reefs from other or future use. One of my friends from college has been studying abroad in Australia this semester, and in her monthly newsletter, she talked about her experience diving in the Great Barrier Reef. She said, it makes sense why it's one of the wonders of the world. You might not expect this, but corals are also super important for protecting the beaches that tourists come to lay on too. White sand beaches are made and maintained through a process that is directly tied to coral reefs and one of the species that lives there. Parrotfish are a species that are super dependent on corals. These brilliantly colored fish eat the coral from coral reefs. Then they poop it out as the white sand that makes these beaches so beautiful and attractive to tourists. Although maybe don't tell the tourists that. According to the Coral Reef Alliance, one large parrotfish can poop out 840 pounds of white sand every single year. That's a lot of sand. 
And not only do coral reefs help in making the sand for these beaches, they also help protect them from erosion. Waves can be powerful forces of destruction, sweeping sand off beaches and eroding coastlines. Coral reefs can act as a buffer, preventing the full force of waves, floods, storms, and extreme weather from impacting the coast. This protection can help prevent the loss of coastal areas and can also protect human developments along the coast, including homes and businesses. They can also protect important coastal nursery habitats for other marine animals like seagrass beds and mangroves. Coral reefs are also a huge source of new medicines. Many of the species that live there produce compounds that scientists have been able to modify and adapt into medicines to treat diseases such as cancer, viruses, and even arthritis. We also rely on coral reefs as the nurseries for many of the species we fish. According to NOAA, about half of all federally managed fisheries in the U.S. rely on species that spawn and grow in coral reefs, and they estimate the financial value of coral reefs to U.S. fisheries at over $100 million. Coral reefs also have cultural significance to many people across the world. In Hawaii, for example, many stories and legends include references to coral reefs, and they're considered the beginning of all life. Coral reefs have also been a huge part of the traditional navigation system and are essential to fishing and providing food for many people. So clearly, Coral reefs are super important, not just for marine life and ecosystems, but also for us. And that means if they were to disappear, not only would the oceans suffer, but we would too. And coral reefs are in danger of doing just that. Coral and their relationship with Symbiodinium is being threatened on a number of different fronts. According to the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, those threats can come from both global or local sources. Locally, corals can be damaged physically through coastal development, dredging, and fishing practices that harm or disrupt coral. Pollution is also a local issue through runoff from sediments from development, nutrients and pathogens from agriculture, stormwater and sewage, toxic substances like metal from sunscreen and industrial discharge, and even trash and microplastics that are disposed of incorrectly. Overfishing can also be a major problem affecting coral reefs, since the removal of particular species can alter the food webs coral reefs are a part of. Another direct local threat is the harvesting of coral for jewelry and keeping in personal aquariums. Global threats to coral reefs can have the biggest impacts and are also the most challenging problems to tackle. The biggest threat to coral reefs is climate change and ocean acidification. This threat is also the most likely to disrupt the relationship between coral and symbiodinium. As global temperatures rise, seawater is also impacted. And as ocean temps rise, corals become more stressed. This can cause corals to expel their symbiodinium friends, turning the corals completely white. This happens because as temperatures rise, symbiodinium actually produce a reactive version of oxygen as a product of photosynthesis. This is called coral bleaching, and it happens because symbiodinium are actually responsible for giving corals their vibrant colors. Usually, these kinds of bleaching events happen during periods of high heat 
or heat waves, which are becoming more frequent and extreme as a result of climate change. It is possible for coral to survive these kinds of bleaching events, but they're more stressed and have a much higher chance of mortality. Without the help of symbiodinium, it's a lot harder to get the nutrients they need to survive, especially under these higher stress conditions. Ocean acidification is also causing big problems for coral reefs. Over the past few centuries, humanity has been putting tons of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, and the ocean acts as a huge carbon sink. That means as the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere increases, more and more also gets sucked up by the ocean. When this carbon dioxide is pulled into the ocean, it reacts with seawater to make carbonic acid, making the ocean increasingly acidic. According to the EPA, since the Industrial Revolution, the acidity of the ocean has increased by 30%. This acidity causes there to be less salt available in the water, including the chemicals which are essential for corals to form and grow their calcium carbonate skeletons. And as we discussed, calcium carbonate is what allows corals to be reef builders, letting other corals settle there. This means that both individual corals and entire reefs will be smaller and smaller. If ocean acidity reaches a certain level, this problem can become so severe that entire coral skeletons can completely dissolve. Recently, coral reefs became a topic of relevance in an unexpected arena, the Olympics. For the Paris 2024 Summer Olympics, surfing competitions are set to take place on the French Polynesian island of Tahiti. Construction has been ongoing in the area for the infrastructure needed to host the most popular international sports competition in the world. This area has great waves for surfing, but it also harbors important coral reef ecosystems. On their website, the organization Save Teopo Reef claims that no ecological impact study was performed before construction began, and that building the judging tower will require drilling into the reef. The area hosts surfing competitions regularly already, but with a removable wooden tower that rests on an already existing platform. Organizers for the Olympics plan to pour new foundations in the reef for a permanent structure. They also cite an assessment done 12 years ago by a French NGO that claims that any degradation of this coral reef could result in increases in a dangerous neurotoxin produced by microalgae growing on dead coral. Construction recently came to a halt after a construction barge got stuck on and damaged coral and was filmed and posted by Save Teopo Reef. Back in November, Olympic organizers reaffirmed their decision to hold surfing competitions in Tahiti despite these concerns. However, even surfers like Olympic gold medalist Carissa Moore are expressing that the destruction of corals to hold the games in Tahiti just isn't worth it. This is an ongoing issue, so we'll just have to wait and see what comes of it. There is some reason for hope though. In Florida, heat waves have been causing mass bleaching events in the Keys, and scientists are racing to bring as many species of corals on land as possible to save their genetic information and preserve their species. 
For each genetic individual, meaning corals which are not genetically identical to each other due to asexual reproduction, scientists collect two samples, which are eventually placed in gene banks in two separate locations. This way, even if all the coral in the ocean is destroyed, it will still have members of their species safe in tanks on land. The long-shot hope is to eventually restore these areas to conditions that will be livable for these coral species again, and repopulate these areas with the saved samples. Symbiotic relationships themselves may also be offering a glimmer of hope. At the University of Hawaii at Manoa, researchers recently published findings that show differing tolerances to heat as a result of different types of algae as symbionts with corals. Researchers at the university were interested in determining whether rice corals that play host to symbiotic algae that are more tolerant of heat resulted in decreased coral growth. This is as compared to corals which host algae that are less tolerant of heat and therefore more susceptible to bleaching. These scientists hypothesized that there might be a trade-off in terms of heat resistance and growth, with corals growing less but tolerating heat better in the heat-resistant algae. They found that in cooler conditions, the corals hosting heat-sensitive symbionts grew faster than those with heat-tolerant symbionts. However, they theorized that these changes may only last for the very coldest of months, which are themselves getting warmer due to climate change. As a result, these heat-sensitive symbionts are likely to be outcompeted by corals that host heat-tolerant symbionts in the coming years. This could mean that corals on average get smaller, which could pose interesting questions for changes in coral reefs. On the bright side, though, it provides a glimpse of hope that there may be potential out there for corals and their symbionts to continue to find new, better ways to work together and continue to evolve in the face of climate change. According to NOAA, we've already lost 30 to 50% of coral around the world. In order to prevent coral reefs from disappearing completely and the relationship between coral and symbiodinium from being broken, action needs to be taken. The biggest threat to coral reefs is climate change and ocean acidification, which can only be solved through emitting less carbon. This is an extremely complex issue that involves entities at every scale throughout the world. There are steps being taken by NGOs, scientists, and government organizations like NOAA to help protect coral reefs. Some of the actions being taken by NOAA, for example, include focusing on restoration by improving habitat for coral reefs, preventing the loss of coral and coral habitat, enhancing population resistance, and improving the health and survival of corals. They also grow and plant new corals, remove invasive species that threaten reefs, and respond to emergencies that could impact corals like ship strikes. But what steps can we as individuals take to protect corals and their symbiodinium partners? Well, if you're visiting a coral reef, then there are some steps you can take to do so safely and responsibly. Make sure not to touch the coral and anchor boats on sandy areas away from the reefs. Also, no matter where you're swimming, make sure to use reef-safe sunscreen. 
You can also make sure to dispose of any trash properly and reduce, reuse, recycle. You may also be able to find trash cleanups in your area if volunteering is something you're interested in doing. Also, minimizing fertilizers can help reduce chemical runoff that affects coral reefs. And if you're ever in a supermarket buying fish, you can also check out seafoodwatch.org run by the Monterey Bay Aquarium to make sure you're buying fish responsibly. You can do the same when buying live fish too. Make sure not to purchase living corals for a home aquarium and make sure any fish you do buy were sourced sustainably. And finally, you can spread the word. Tell your friends and family and let them know how they too can protect coral reefs. Alone, we may not be able to see our impact that easily, but when we work together towards a common goal, humanity can do some pretty amazing things. Thank you so much for listening to the first episode of Invert Extroverts. If you enjoyed or want to find out where you can learn more, make sure to leave us a question or comment in the Q&A box. Until next time, I might not be an extrovert, but I do love inverts. Bye.